0: The Blinks Labs headquarters in Berlin, Germany. This is the Blinkist podcast. If you're new to the Blinkist podcast, welcome. I'm the producer, Ben. And the idea is we're going deeper into the nonfiction book world. We're trying to get into the heads of the inspiring, ingenious people who actually write those books. Um, we have a new tagline We're making big ideas personal. Not bad, right? So today we have something special. We have uh, Vishen Lakhiani, the CEO of Mind Valley, mindfulness expert, just all around great dude. Um, but instead of me interviewing him, we thought it would be a cool idea to have our co-founder Nicholas Janssen do so. So Nicholas, one of our founders, um, and he's always admired vision's work. I know this because in my years at Blinkist, um I can't count the number of times Nicholas has sent me something like, some article of check out what Mind is up to, check out this award Mindvalley just got for their culture, um, look up this course or talk by Vishen, and so on. So it's cool. Um, I got to sit in on the interview to hear the two entrepreneurs chat. Um, it was cool to just kind of hear them bounce ideas. And Nicholas got to ask Vishen, the, you know, some of the things that he's most admired about him and some of the challenging things that he's had to deal with and and in terms of running a business or getting the most out of his life and so on. Of course, they also talk about Fission's new book, which is called The Code of the Extraordinary Mind. It's already a New York Times bestseller. Um, They get into some of the big topics in there like consciousness engineering and rules. And so as a compliment to that new book, and because we're launching our new edition of the Blinkist Magazine today on the theme learning innovations and always learning, we have five, five signed copies of Fission's book, to give away, we also have five memberships to Mind Valley, the online learning platform that he founded, to give away. So here's what you got to do to win: download the Blinkist app, sign up, open the blinks to the Code of the Extraordinary Mind, and that's it. If you already have the app, good job you. Uh, just open up the blinks, and that's it. Open up the blinks to the Code of the Extraordinary Mind, and you'll be automatically entered for a chance to win. We will see who actually read them. All right. If you like what you hear today, please do head over to iTunes, leave us a review. It helps us a lot to get this podcast out to more people. Okay, that's enough of me. Let's roll the tape. Here is Nicholas Janssen and Vision Lakiani.
1: Yeah, welcome to the show and thanks for taking time to do this. Um, it's not too too long that we have hung out, right? So we both spoke at Tech Open in, in Air. <laughs> right. Then.
2: Yeah, just like five weeks ago. Uh,
1: yeah, and like it was really great. I appreciated that we had like a chance to talk about our companies and your book. And one topic that struck me. It's very interesting since then, and I would like to start with that, is um, the concept of brules. Um, Because I feel like this defines a lot of of your work these days. And maybe could you quickly explain what brules are and maybe give a real world example to them? Sure,
2: a brule is a word I coined in my book, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind. Brule basically is (laughs) shorthand for the word bullshit rule. (laughs) So as we go through life, we tend to find that most human beings operate based more on imitation rather than rational choice. So as we go through life from the time we are kids to teenagers to to young adults, to simplify our functioning in the world, we are imitation machines. Uh, Paul Marstan, who is a professor um, and an economist, uh, said that how we function as human beings is that we often choose to imitate the social signals that we see in cult in our culture, in our parents, in our educators, rather than operate through rational choice. Now, this explains how many things spread. For example, certain cultural practices or fundamentalist religion. But it's not just those extreme examples. When it comes to bullshit rules or rules, we often blindly follow things because it's the way it's been done for generation to generation. And this applies as much in terms of the way we practice spirituality, to the way we read, to the way we exercise, to the way we feed ourselves. In all of these areas, they are new, more outstanding, more efficient, new scientifically backed models which are emerging. But these things seldom get noticed. Instead, the vast majority of human beings continue to operate the way their forefathers did. Now, when you learn to question the rules and you learn to develop a process for identifying new ways, new systems, new models of functioning in the world, that's when you truly start creating an extraordinary life in all dimensions.
1: That's very interesting. Like, Could you maybe give like a real-world example, for example, for yourself, where you questioned the rule and how you changed your life when you figured out that this is actually, as you say, a bullshit rule and how it helped you to, to live a better life?
2: Well, the first thing is In almost any field, you pick it, right? In almost any field, goal setting, meditation, exercise, nutrition, reading, parenting, sex, most of us operate based on fundamentally outdated models. Let's just pick one of these fields. Let's pick nutrition, for example. So a lot of us believe that if we want to um, stay in shape, we have to count our calories, we have to exercise. Well, it turns out the latest research is showing that both of these are fundamentally untrue ideas. Calories, for example, absolutely pointless. Your body is not a input output machine. Your body is a chemistry lab. You know, it's not about how much you eat. It is what you eat. And so there are whole new diet programs emerging, which are not based on calories at all, and they are getting better results than traditional diets.
1: Are now, you, you at- sorry? Are you talking about like the picture you shared on Facebook? Maybe you should just right. quickly, quickly explain. There sorry. is a picture of Vision on on Facebook, and there I think nine weeks in between, and it looks like two very different persons, right? You look so like your body looks so much more defined these days, and it's just like nine weeks in between. So is this where, you, where you're right. leading to?
2: Right, that, that that was an example. That was an example of, of uh, hacking the body, of changing my body shape through focused on nutrition. And, you know, so so here's an example of a classic rule, right? We think if we need to stay in shape, we have to exercise. And so people have fundamentally flawed ideas of exercise. For example, aerobics, which was popular in the 80s, uh, one hour long um, exercise sessions popular in the 90s and in the last decade or so turns out they are highly, highly, highly inefficient. Since 2013, new studies have shown that one of the best ways to stay in shape is through minimum effective dose exercise. And in the last couple of years, over 65 new studies have emerged further showing that if you want to keep your weight down, it's not even about exercise. It's 95% the food you eat. So again, here's a classic example. Most people who are trying to stay in shape, count calories and exercise, turns out it is a highly inefficient model. Rather, you want to work on improving your your food intake and combinations of food that you take and exercising based on minimum effective dose exercise. So for example, for many, 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 many years, Nicholas, I was trying to get my body in shape and I could not succeed. I was using outdated models. I was operating through the former rules of health and nutrition. Today, I'm in better shape at 40 than I was at 25, but it's because I'm focused on new updated models. Now, this is true for every dimension of life. So I am fanatical about discovering, Updated models. In fact, it is my biggest hobby. I'm continuously hacking myself from how I read to how I parent to how I pray to how I meditate to how I have, um, you know, how how I run a team. And I just find that there's so much excitement in studying, innovating, and and playing with new emerging models. And I guess that really is my obsession in life. I'm a I'm a massive human guinea pig. I guess.
1: That's, we will make sure to to post the picture in the show notes so that everyone can see the the difference between those uh, nine weeks. Um, but yeah, I feel like there's so much to unpack. Maybe like could we probably talk a bit about like your company and like how you applied, for example, the the concept of rules to a company? Because I feel. Like from the outside, it looks that you do a lot of things differently than the typical company. And what would I be? What I would be very interested in is, Like, do you have like basic principles that you apply in your business life? Things that you do over and over again that help you to succeed with the company?
2: Absolutely. So again. Now, now, firstly, before I go on, I just want to say that the work you guys do at Blinkist is, actually, is so valuable because by giving people digestible summaries of books, you are really eliminating a massive brule. A lot of people think that to learn, to grow, to seek new knowledge, especially knowledge you get from nonfiction books, which is highly valuable knowledge, you got to read a book. And a book can take eight to 10 hours to read. What you guys are doing is actually busting a major brule of learning. You are showing that people can get... Can, can, can learn fundamentally amazing things through easily digestible content. So big kudos to what you guys are doing at Blinkist. Thanks. Now, it means a lot to us. Now, now on to companies, right? So for the longest time, companies looked at productivity hacks to, to boost their employees' performance. And these hacks might be time management, they might be management theories, they might be um, operational procedures, new strategies, processes, and so on. But again, science is now starting to show that some of the biggest boosters to productivity have nothing to do with the things that you're learning in business school. Rather, they have to do with practices that are rooted in happiness, love, and connection. Now, I know that sounds bizarre, right? Because happiness, love, and connection, these don't typically sound like business terms. But the more you dig into this, the more you understand that it's just fascinating. For example, right? studies have shown that salespeople who are happy are 55% better at closing sales. Doctors who are happy are 19% better at making a good diagnosis. And um, school kids who are happier do better in exams. And then newer studies show that happiness is highly hackable. Happiness has little to do with money or your position or you know how you look or how much sex you're having. Happiness, fundamentally, according to a l- l- recent study uh, called the Very Happy People Study in Harvard, has the biggest correlation to just one thing, and it is the strength of your social connections. So, A, we know that happiness fuels productivity. B, we know that happiness is highly correlated, a 0.7 correlation with your strength of social connections. So, at Valley, which is my company, we use this as our single biggest productivity tool. So, starting at a root level, we understand that happiness is a way of life. We design our office, we design our furniture, we design the lights, the color, the mood of our office to create feelings of happiness. When you walk into Mind Valley, you kind of get the feeling you're at Disneyland or you know, like a really fun play school. It's just beautiful. It's colorful. It's filled with plants and and bright colors. It's designed to inspire. Beautiful pieces of art. Um, you know, uh, amazing interior design because we know that happiness fuels productivity. But again, the single biggest thing that leads to happiness is strength of social connection. So at Mind Valley, one of the biggest things we do is we get our employees to connect with each other in deep, meaningful ways, massively deep, meaningful ways. And Other studies are starting to show, for example, Gallup showed that if you have a best friend at work, you are 700% more engaged at your job. So we organize um, every two weeks a culture day where employees from different cultures um, get to toss a little party and teach their culture through fun and games and drinks and food to the other employees. We have um, rituals in the company, um, ways of celebrating, ways of assembling our staff. We can party trips to get people to connect. For example, in two weeks, my entire customer support team is flying to an island so they can bond and connect with each other. Because we know that these type of activities get them to connect in deep ways, create meaningful connections, thus boosting their engagement, their social connections, and their happiness. So again, emerging models of organizational design, emerging models of productivity are showing that it is often the unexpected things that truly lead to leaps in human productivity. And this is something else that I'm experimenting with right now in our company. And it's something that, you know, if you're an entrepreneur listening to, um, I would strongly encourage you to look into as well
1: that's very cool like i think like we we value culture and friendship of blink is very high as well and but one thing like what we always try to figure out is try to balance being focused and really focus on goals but then as well allow a lot of room for fun and experimentation how do how did you how do you find a balance for for mind valley so is there like a particular framework you use or how do you do that
2: well there are a couple of so i love the fact that you mentioned the word framework. just so you know, I'm a framework junkie. I'm an engineer by training. So I I, I love talking about happiness and uh, this fluffy stuff, right? But in my mind, everything evolves into patterns, frameworks, and algorithms. So here's a framework I use. So basically, one of the things is there's a study that showed, and this study is by Sean Aker. He wrote the book, The Happiness Advantage. He showed that if now, again, this was done for American companies, right? So I don't know if this is true for Europeans. I know you Europeans take a lot more vacations. But in America, <laughs> two weeks of holidays is, is considered good. Yet in America, many people don't fill up their full vacation days because they're busy at work. They're trying to, you know, attain their goals. But Sean Aker in his study showed that if you take all 10 of your vacation days, all 10 of your vacation days, you are 35% more likely to get a promotion, Think about that. Well, wow. a lot of a lot of people think that if you work your butt off to prove yourself to your boss, to you know to work long hours, to stay back late, you are more likely to get a promotion. Turns out that's not true. If you take all 10 of your vacation days, you are 35% more likely to get a promotion. But there's this particular thing you got to do on this vacation. It is less true, it is less true if you take a vacation and just stay at home so you can spend more time with the kids. You gotta actually take a vacation. So in the study, Sean Aker geotagged participants. So they actually had to take a vacation, leave home, and there were a couple of conditions. They had to travel and in this new environment where they were at, they had to either be there with a friend or make a friend. Remember, strength of social connections, right? So I take that very, very, very seriously. I I make sure I take at least uh, three weeks or four weeks of vacation every year. So even though I'm crazy busy and I love my work, I actually get out of my work three to four weeks a year. I love going on vacations with my wife and kids um, or with friends. And when I come back, I feel like I've been fueled with a superpower. So that is one of the first ways I do to balance this insanity between work and play. And remember that, 35% more likely to get a promotion. Now, you can read about that in Sean's book, The Happiness Advantage.
1: What was your recent trip? Where did you go recently?
2: Oh, man, I take so many vacations now, I'm losing track. (laughs) Um, Actually, hey, you know what? It was in Berlin. That's where we hung out.
1: True. That's yeah, not too long ago. Um, well, cool. Like Maybe let me shift gears a bit and let's talk about your book and the concept of conscious engineering. Um, by the way, for everyone who's listening, we're going to do a giveaway of, of Vision's book. We're going to give away five signed copies plus one year access to the, the complimentary online course. Um, we'll put everything in the show notes as well. But... So your, your book is basically the, the topic of conscious engineering. Could you just explain quickly what a concept is and what you mean with conscious engineering?
2: Well, we spoke about questioning bullshit rules, right? So when it comes to questioning rules, there are two different types of ideas that we question. The first is models of reality. Now, a model of reality is a belief framework that we take on, and we take on these beliefs from our fathers, our preachers, our mothers, our teachers, our industrial age education system. But often, we also take this up from childhood indoctrination. As children, we grow up with a meaning-making machine in our head, trying to create meaning of the world, and these, this meaning causes us to have certain beliefs. Some of these beliefs are good. I'm special. I'm important. I'm loved. But many of us grow up with beliefs which are disempowering. I'm not important. I need to prove myself. Hard work is the only way to be successful. I am bad with men or I am bad with women. And so most human beings have several, dozen actually, negative beliefs that you may not know it, but these beliefs hold you back in life. Many of these beliefs, or as I call them, models of reality under the surface. You do not know you have them. Like when I was in my 20s, I didn't realize how much I was lacking in self-esteem. It just didn't occur to me. But I realized that I was working long hours. I was trying to become an entrepreneur, often not because I had a great idea or I had a mission to change something in the world, but simply because I wanted to prove myself. It stemmed from a belief that I was not enough. And many of us have these beliefs. So that's the first thing, models of reality. Now, the second part of consciousness engineering is understanding that while your models of reality shape you and you can change them, there's a second component that also makes you who you are. And these are your systems for living. Your systems for living is basically your operational procedures. It is how you eat. It is how you commute. It is how you um, parent. It is how you exercise. And many of us The problem is are operating based on systems which are highly outdated. So we are using outmoded forms of exercise, outmoded forms of parenting, outmoded forms of spirituality. And so consciousness engineering is simply the practice of thinking of yourself as a human operating system. Now, if you were a computer, right, and you wanted to update yourself, what would you do if you were a computer? You would update your hardware or update your software. So you might let's say let's say the computer in question is a smartphone you might go from the iPhone 5 to the iPhone iPhone 6 that's a hardware update or you may download more apps or you may update certain apps a hardware update is almost analogous to a belief change because just like a belief you can swap out bad hardware swap in good hardware and and your beliefs are things which are swappable so i teach that i teach people how to swap beliefs and Um, process change is a software upgrade. You look at how you're exercising now, you're like, okay, great, there's a better way. Boom, you download a new update for your software. So consciousness engineering is simply the act of thinking of the human being as an upgradable machine and looking at beliefs, aka hardware, and processes, aka software, and continuously growing and updating your beliefs and your processes.
1: Well, again, I think in your book you say, and you mentioned this earlier, like that you are this kind of like improvement junkie, and I think in your book you say that you try to update one of your systems once per, or like one system per month, which I think is. Like it's really something everyone should strive for. I personally try to optimize a lot of my uh, like a lot of things as well, but I always have like lazy periods in between. Like, do you know lazy periods? It sounds like that you kind of like running as like a machine and always improving yourself. Do you have these periods in uh, in your life where you just like take it easy and say, okay, I'm just living with the systems I have right now. Um,
2: absolutely. I mean, that's what I take vacations for, right?
1: <laughs> okay, so vacations is the biggest hack again to kind of like overcome the laziness or are you doing anything else?
2: Well. Well, the thing is, I don't believe in laziness. I mean, we talk about laziness like it's some bad thing, but sometimes we just need to chill out, and I do that as well. For example, I'm a, I love curling up with a good book. I love drinking a glass of whiskey at night. I just had one before this call. I love watching a movie. Before this call, I was watching a, mo- a cartoon movie that I really enjoyed with my wife and kids. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not about being lazy, but here's the thing. I am currently an author. Um, I'm a CEO. I have three other companies I'm starting. Tomorrow, I'm flying out to Singapore for a three-day uh, holiday. I'm able to do so much because I've optimized my life. And so my obsession with hacks, with precision, with updating my systems basically gives me more time. It doesn't take away from time. It gives me time to be lazy. Recently, Mark Zuckerberg's sister, this in an interview, said this. She said, if you're an entrepreneur, You get to choose three of the following five things. You can either have family, friends, fitness, your business, or sleep. You get to choose three out of five. Now, I respect what she's saying, and this is a brilliant woman, Zuckerberg's sister, but I have all five. I get seven hours of sleep a day. I have friends. I have family. I take care of my health and I get to take care of multiple businesses and I still have free time. But it's because I've optimized things to a really beautiful level of precision.
1: That's that's really interesting. So let's take a short break to hear what people around Blinkist are reading these days.
2: My name is Eric. I work in the content team. Uh, I just finished David Foster Wallace, uh, The Pale King, just like uh, his last novel. Uh, It was unfinished, but it was absolutely amazing. And yeah, I recommend it
0: to anyone.
1: Hi, my name is Sebastian. I'm the so-called head of IT here. So, responsible for the printer. And when I'm not coding, I'm currently reading, I'd say, one page before I fall asleep in my bed, The Power of One, from Brian Courtney. And it's a lovely book about a little boy who has to grow up in a very harsh environment. Welcome back, this is Nicholas. Let's get back into the interview with myself and Vision Lakhiani, CEO of Valley and New York Times bestselling author. Could you, could you, I know it's very hard to answer, but could you say where, well, for example, like your concept of conscious engineering had the biggest impact on your life? Is it like in the, on the business side? Is it in the personal life? Um, could you elaborate a bit on that?
2: Well, um, it's it's had profound impact, I'd say, mostly on my personal life.
1: Okay, cool. And did you... Did you ever fail rewriting a rule? This was like one question which I, is on my mind since I read the book. It's like, is there, was there ever a rule where you said, okay, there's too much outside pressure. Or I can't change it. I have to live with it.
2: Um, I can't change it. I have to live with it. You know, I, I, I'll have to think back, right? <laughs> there are... Um, and I'm sure that there have definitely been failures. For example, before I found my current exercise regimen, I experimented with maybe four or five different fitness programs. And out of these four or five different fitness programs, um, I'd say about three to four failed. One worked out, and that one is what I'm currently doing. So... I experiment a lot. Not everything works, but with each experimentation, I learn a little bit more and I get to refine. And uh, now I'm able to stay fit. So before, you know, for me to stay fit, I had to exercise maybe five hours a week. Now it takes me one hour a week and I can still maintain the fitness level I desire. I
1: think I remember in Berlin we talked about morning routines. Um, so since it seems that you reduced your workout time uh, for every for every day, like how does your morning routines look like? What are you doing in the first, let's say, sixty to ninety minutes of after waking up?
2: Well, what I do when I wake up, um, other than taking the kids to school. This is my morning routine. I start with a particular meditation process that I put together called the six phase meditation. It's very popular now, over a million people do it. And um, um, it's something I designed. It's based on six different principles of hacking our mental abilities and our human mind. First phase is compassion, so I do a compassion ritual. Then I do a gratitude ritual. Then I do a forgiveness ritual. Okay, all three of these are designed to elevate my levels of happiness and bliss. Then I focus on my future. I um, visualize my life three years ahead. Then I visualize my day unfolding perfectly. And then I pray. All three of these are designed to make me feel optimistic, powerful, and to look forward towards the coming day. Next, I go and I exercise. Now, that entire meditation takes about 20 minutes. Sometimes I go on to half an hour because I want to just sit back and breathe, right? Then I go on to exercise. Now, typically, I use the Microsoft Band, which is a really cool device, and I do Tabata exercises. Tabata can take, takes me four minutes. So, I do a very high-intensity four-minute exercise. Mm -hmm. Studies have shown that four minutes of Tabata can be as beneficial to your body as 20 minutes of regular exercise. Next, I go and I have my optimized breakfast. Now, my optimized breakfast takes me four minutes to make. It is a shake. I use JJ Virgin or GNC as the base powder, and then I add moringa, wheatgrass, um, camu camu, and chia seeds to it. And it's basically um, super-fueled nutritional shake that um, elevates my brain processing. Sometimes I add MCT oil to it, elevates my my brain processing, gives me energy, and just makes me fully energized um, for my morning from the time I start my morning to lunch. So that's really what my morning ritual is. Now, this is the most optimized ritual I know right now. In the future, I may find something more optimized. But functioning like that keeps me fit, keeps me mentally alert, keeps me happy, keeps my body fueled, and allows me to just function really well on a day-to-day basis,
1: I think like you told me in Berlin back in Berlin uh, about bulletproof coffee, and I started doing bulletproof coffee since then. And I can totally, although it's kind of different than your shake, you drink, but I think like it has the same effect. I can de- definitely double that how much energy a drink in the morning can give you until lunch, and I feel like so much more energized when I come to work, I'm so much more focused. So that's,
2: absolutely that's, true. Yep, yeah. and one of the ingredients of bulletproof coffee is MCT oil. Exactly. I actually use I actually use bulletproof brand MCT oil in my shake.
1: Yeah, I really love it and um, I think like, everyone in the team at Blinkist is getting very interested and in probably we're going to have um, have like a bulletproof coffee routine every morning in the future. Well, I have one last question um, because like, the topic of our Blinkist magazine for this month will be uh, innovation and education and there's one question we, we asked a lot of people. So what is one of the things you wish you would have learned in school but you didn't learn?
2: I wish in school that the, the biggest thing I feel that would have helped me and would have helped a lot of people about if we had learned in school is the idea that we are enough, that we are loved, we are sufficient, um, that we mean something. I grew up with very low self-esteem, and I think a lot of us do. A lot of us growing up don't think of ourselves as being enough. Um, we f- don't feel we're important. We don't feel we are loved. We don't feel we are special. And I felt that way for most of my life. And I think if school had simply taught me self-esteem, I think I would have actually been happier for a a lot more years in my life. I think I only really started to figure this out in my mid-30s. And I just wished I'd figured it out when I was 15.
1: Thanks for sharing that. That's that's really cool. All right. So I think like we're already like nearly half an hour and um, you told me you put your kids to bed and probably it's already very late in Malaysia right now so yeah, let me thank you for your time
2: thank you so much thanks for having me
1: um and i hope we have the chance to hang out at a first in november again i'm um, really trying to be there this year until then um thanks for your time vision and to everyone out there if you liked what you heard and if you want us to do more of these kind of conversations drop us an email to podcast at blingus.com. until then keep learning mm-hmm.
0: Today's Blinkist podcast was produced by me, Ben Schumann-Stoller, and Odie Constantino, who just turned eight years old. Special thanks to Nicholas and Vision, of course, for their interview this time. Feel free to email me at podcast if there's someone you want to hear on here, or if you have any feedback about me, the podcast, the Blinkist magazine, if you want Nicholas to do more interviews, so on and so forth. That'd be cool. Um, we'll be back in a few weeks with a really cool conversation I just had uh, last week, actually, with Cal Newport author most recently of Deep Work. So keep an eye out for that. In the meantime, be good. This has been signing off. Bye-bye.